But that is our task. Our task is to show people that in many ways they got what they ordered. And a lot of what they demanded they got. And so let's get out there as we do and remind them of that. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Hello and welcome to a wonderful Ruthless Variety program, a special Wednesday episode, fellas. Yeah, uh, we had the uh, Hack Madness, you know, seating announcement tour yesterday, and uh, now we get into the meat and potatoes. We, I mean, we this get a is full what episode we do. Of Ruthless. You get a full deal. We have a special guest, David McCormick, today, who's running for Senate in the great state of Pennsylvania. I think that rounds out our Pennsylvania crew. I think we've got just about everybody in that Senate race on. That's right. This is a good interview. You guys will enjoy it. And, you know, uh, we got a little ink that we didn't talk about. That's right. We were in the the Washington Examiner. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, what do they call it? GOP Joker Men? Yeah. It was be- I, is that better than Bad Boys? I mean, yeah. the content of the yeah. article is like, certainly better. Jokerfied. I like that. <clears throat> it makes it sound kind of based. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like I think I'm, I'm probably the only one who actually subscribes to the Washington Examiner magazine. I'm looking around this table, and I don't see a single guy who what a, what has a, a subscription. That's rude. I have one, and it came to my house yesterday afternoon. Oh, the, in the, in the uh, was it a magazine? It's a magazine, so I have the hard copy. Is it, how's it look? Is it glossy? It's glossy. It looks wonderful. The photos look terrific. I'm going to have everybody sign it. And I was maybe... going to say, if you bring it to the office, I'll sign it for you, John. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm gonna have, I'll have a special a special spot where the contributor can sign. <laughs> Twitter man. <laughs> Twitter man. This is a special spot for the Twitter man. But it was a nice, look, it was nice. She, uh, Emily Brooks, who is the author, actually came to the event. And, and this is, like, for us, I think the first piece of ink that we've had where people actually put the time in to interview people and come to our events and see what it's all about. So right, that was nice. Right. I appreciated that. It wasn't this drive-by journalism that we got in Politico's magazine. Yeah, you know, where by they, Sally Jesse. Yeah, they, the guy didn't even call us, let alone show up at one of our events. But she did the hard work. She did real journalist work. She showed up at the event. She talked to real people. Yeah, I thought it was good. It was a, it was a nice little piece, and so a, a strange set of affairs for the Variety program wasn't the only publicity the Variety program has received. Uh, did you guys see the Fox News story about the liberal hack tournament? Oh, I did. And Joey Brackett is Brackets. at it again. The best. I the mean, best. They, they covered it so well. Can I just read the subhead yes. from the story? Please. Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin made history last year as the first <laughs> woman to win hack madness. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a graph down below about glass ceilings and stuff. I mean, it was it was a work of art. Joey Brackets. What a great. That's Wolfson, right? I mean, Joey Wolfson. Joey Wolfson. And yeah. if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. Uh, he does a lot of great work for Fox News covering media, which you can only imagine that undertaking on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and if you haven't yet, uh, this episode comes out on Wednesday, get in your bracket. You can go to hackmadness.org, fill out your bracket, save it, print it. Um, yeah, I mean, the voting on the first round is going to start on... Currently first- underway. The playing game is currently underway. Right. <clears throat> um, and... I, I want to see everyone fill like like last year and the year before. Everyone fill out your sheets, you know, sc- screenshot it or take a photo of it, tweet it at the ruthless account, tweet it to me, 
And uh, I want to see, you know, set up your own pools. Every, every uh, uh, you know, the RNC I know had a pool going. The NRSC had a pool going. The RCC had a pool going last year. I want to see everyone's pool. We're going to have a pool here yeah, on we're the gonna show. we're going to do one here. Yeah, a, a serious one. I'm yeah. saying 100 bucks ahead. <laughs> Winner takes all. Jesus, let's make it matter. But I mean, thank, stealing money. It's, out it's, of my it's all look. It's all it's all for fun and games until like Smug's pick is losing and he does a quote tweet. He's like, "Hey, wait, guys, the, actually, the I think the other person's ahead." <laughs> look, listen, I think this is where we need to stop and say thanks to a group of minions who actually yes. put together a website. Totally. And a full, I, why don't we? Why don't we just plug that right now and say Horse Sense? I mean, this guy is just on Twitter. Horse incredible. Sense, great guy. Incredible, and he did an incredible job. My understanding is that there was a lot of people that put effort into it, but the end product is beautiful, beautiful. I mean, to make that what I mean, they, that that's seriously hitting the internet button. They they made a website that you can pit, make your bracket picks and, and the and research, the research that it went, in, the scouting, the bracketology, if you will. Yes, I mean the graphic design that went into that. I mean, it, it was like the CBS bracket. Yes, and for for March Madness, it's, it was it's unbelievable. Actually, it's more intuitive than the CBS bracket. I mean, <laughs> CBS should really hire them to Seriously. do their job. And, and uh, you know, from experience, it's a lot easier to use than the Adobe Acrobat thing that they have set up for <laughs> filling out brackets. But you, so shout out Horse Sense Twenty Five yeah, on Twitter. Check it out at the website hackmadness.org. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And actually, you know, the fact that you could go through a bracket does prove that you can read Smug. Yeah. I which, mean, I surprise myself sometimes. Which uh, is a bit of a surprise <laughs> to some of us at, at the program. Uh, should we do a couple of five stars to get things rolling? Well, I think Smug should do this first one because I think obviously. Yeah, this is, this is a, a, you know, somewhat personal. It's a good one. Uh, five, first five-star review says, Smug's Bronco slander must end. That caught my eye. <laughs> This is uh, from T Lizard's Revenge via Apple Podcast because you can also rate us five stars on Spotify now. Uh, it says T Lizard says I am disgusted by so-called Broncos fan Smug's take on the absolute quote fleecing that my beloved ponies pulled off to acquire a Hall of Fame QB. I can only conclude that noted lib Smug is upset that <laughs> Denver has secured its most Christ-loving, God-fearing QB since Satan Tebow himself. I love Tebow. Uh, after all the work that Trump did to ensure that we could say Merry Christmas once again, it's sad that's come to this. In spite of it all, five stars. Number I, one, great review. <laughs> this is a true listener. I'm surprised you let it slip through the cracks. Oh, I mean, well, you got to appreciate this is this is an, a true listener, a fan. They know they they showed up with all the receipts. Um, me and Duncan actually had an interesting discussion along these lines earlier, where I expressed, you know, it was too late. I wish we'd have gotten Deshaun uh, Watson, who's, who's now trying to, you know go to another team other than the Texans. And then Duncan brought up that apparently he can't go to the Colts because... Yeah, uh, the Texans shut that down. They don't want to trade him to somebody in the division, which I guess I can understand. Uh, But we're getting desperate. The Colts are getting desperate. Now you got a tough deal. I would be totally open to if if the Colts engineered a a trade where, you know, Deshaun goes to Denver, you know, Russell goes to the Colts. I mean, that would work for me. Once again, is anybody interested in our finest Kirk Cousins? (laughs) <laughs> he just re- didn't he just re-up yeah, his contract he sure did we're just gonna run it back and do 2021 I mean, all over he, again. He, here's the thing it's like the reason i pick him in fantasy is the guy's consistent guy puts up great stats he, he, he's not gonna you know blow it out you're not gonna get a 50 point game out of him but he's not gonna suck you know did you're you guys see the stat steady while we're on this did you guys see the stat that he is the highest compensated nfl player since 2016 it's incredible are you serious the highest confidence he beats aaron Rodgers by like two million bucks I saw a t- I saw a tweet. He's not worth that money, though. <laughs> I, I, dude, I want him as my agent. Why? <laughs> I saw the tweet that added it all up, and it was a quarter of a billion dollars. Yes, yeah. $250 million dollars in yes. contracts. He's yeah. 57, 57, and two. 
Yeah, that's, that's, his, that's his record. With that's, a quarter bill. Laughing at a little bank. You got new coaching staff coming up this year, right? I the mean, whole maybe. brand new, everybody in the building's new, and they decided they're going to they're gonna lock in and do the exact same thing. So I hope the coaching is what did it. I uh, hope uh, uh, Kirk learns from, like, you know Marshawn Lynch, all his money that he made in the NFL, he didn't spend a penny of it. Really? He saved every penny he made in the NFL. His sponsorships is what he used to, like, Wick you know, Skittles and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. He bought a house with that. All the money, every penny he made from his NFL contracts, he put he invested away. I mean, the wow. greatest trick that guy ever pulled was convincing people he was a dumb guy, right? Yeah. Because he never did press conferences or anything. Man, he was sharp as he was, all. He get was the out. smartest guy in the room. Totally. Uh, all right, next one. We need a Brandon soundboard website. This is uh, <laughs> what the world needs is a soundboard of all Brandon's idiot comments so we can walk around with our liberal friends who don't believe he said these things and play them incessantly. I trust you guys are the men for the job. Keep up the good work. That's a good point. I think I think Ashbrook and Dungan could do that, right? I can only imagine the work that would go into that. <laughs> I, I think we can do it. You know, we've got some pretty good audio lined up for the show today, but we should shorten it down so that we can just lump in Joe Biden wherever we need him. Sort of tough to beat Kamala, though, these days. Even Brandon's got run for his money. I'm picturing like a speak and spell thing where you <laughs> you pull the like you pull the drawstring yeah. and the thing tick, 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 and then it's, it's, it's a like, place honestly, of quote. It's like I, I on gas prices. I bet Putin. that's what the White House staff has to deal with is they're like, all right, you know, wake up grandpa, get, get the jumper cables or something. Yeah, so, somebody jangle some, jangle some keys in his face. <laughs> Put a quarter in his back. Yeah. <laughs> all right, one more. Uh, the last one here. Holy Cats is the title. Hank did nothing wrong. Great name. Great yeah. name. Uh, fellas, as a subscriber of the podcast since episode one, yes, I feel like a guy who saw the hot new band at the Austin Dive Bar before they signed their record deal and moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> awesome. I'm not sure what it says about me that this podcast has caused me to set Google alerts for crazy animal stories, <laughs> but uh, us too, pal. Yeah. Uh, but every time I see a coked up horse win a race or a troop of monkeys declare war on a canine population, I know I'm in for a banger. Of an <laughs> I mean, this is a true fan. True fan. As three man podcasts go, it's hard to <laughs> the combination of Holmes's homespun Midwestern aphorisms, Duncan's internet button proficiency, and Ashbrook's. <laughs> What is this word? Mellifluous. Mellifluous. Uh, color commentary. Oh, I see what they did. Wait, so those are the three hosts? Wow. Oh, Boy, I man. love this guy. What I love this guy. Smug, how'd you let these ones slip through? It's incredible. It's but incredible. The hosts provide a great Southwest airline style flyover country counterbalance to regular contributor Smug's feet. <laughs> East Coast elitism. <laughs> this is Ashbrook who wrote this. <laughs> keep, keep up the great work, gentlemen. We've got a lot of libs to own between now and November. A parenthetical here. Unrelated, Tom Brady won as many Super Bowls in his 40s as John Elway won in a 16-year career. Oh, God, he got it all in. This guy's going for yeah, the this guy, fences. I mean, I got to say, that's a lot of great content to squeeze into that tiny of a review. And Outstanding job. And let me just say, I think McDaniel got you back for editing out last right? week. That's 100%. <laughs> this is McDaniel just really getting his shots in. All right, so let's transition. Bidenflation. So this thing isn't going away. And... It has been a little entertaining. It's also maddening. It's been a little entertaining to watch them try to explain what's happening. But first, let's just set the stage. This is Biden's Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen. 
you know, we're likely to see another year in which 12-month inflation numbers remain very uncomfortably high. Oh, I thought it was transitory. Yeah, that's the thing is, <laughs> the, the humor here is, it's almost like a wily coyote type of situation of how this administration has been like, like you said, first they're like, oh, this is transitory. And then they're like, actually, you know, your corn on the cob is one cent cheaper on 4th of July. And then they're like, okay, this is going to pass. And then they're like, okay, uh, actually inflation is good. Yeah. They, they're like out of options. <laughs> it's it's And what what sucks is, meanwhile, Real Americans who have been feeling the brunt of higher prices for everything, whether it's gas, whether it's groceries, this whole time have been trying to tell the government, like, hey, guys, this is a problem. And the government started off. You had Saki famously come out and was like, hey, just, uh, you know, drink a margarita and order a Peloton and, and, and chill. And then, like, Mayor Pete's like, just buy a Tesla. And, and then the, yesterday, Tesla announces their prices are going up, too. Electric cars are going to be a little more expensive than they were, too. And, and then when yeah. Janet Yellen is saying this is... I mean, she's a very respected figure. I think shes it's sad she's gotten a bit politicized, you know, but she's a member of the administration, not the Fed anymore. But it's its very worrying when she's saying, okay, we're going to see really bad inflation well, it means for the what next it means. 12 months, straight up. Right, and it and it's obviously gets sideways with the administration's message of, you know, inflation is actually not that bad. Yeah. It's good. It's transitory. And, it's and good. she's someone who's seen high. some shit. <laughs> comfortably that's high. That's the thing is when, when she's saying uncomfortably high, she's seen some shit. She, she was part of the team... That navigated, you know, when Bernanke was in charge through the 08. So she has seen yeah, some shit. I mean, typically, typically the economic people are very specific with their word choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this administration is changing their messaging from it's not a big deal to it's transitory to a whole host of other. So, yeah. So this is the best, right? Now we've we've moved beyond the domestic fault. And now we're going somewhere else. Here's President Biden. Make no mistake. Inflation is largely the fault of Putin. Holy shit, that's going to come as a surprise to people who've suffered under inflation for the last year and a half. Right. Oh, it was Putin's fault. You know the guy that invaded Ukraine three weeks ago? That's why last summer you were paying more for hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was Marty McFly in the time machine. Another it, time it, machine it, situation. I, I love always seeing the replies to like the White House or Jen Psaki. You've got minions who have this great chart of like where inflation and gas prices have been through the entire Biden administration, which is just like, a rocket taking off, and this tiny little, little lift at the like end, they're like, Putin invades Ukraine. So, so but it's uh, like inflation writ large, sure. But, you know, look, gas prices are what's on the menu. Now we're all, uh, we don't want to have anybody to pay attention to the fact that we shut down domestic supply, canceled the Keystone Pipeline, reorganized everything to try to get into a green or, or green energy-oriented economy, why are your gas prices high again? Here's Nancy Pelosi. Let's get back to the question, the larger issue about Putin's tax. That's a, a, that's really Putin's gas hike. That's his gas hike. This uh, so much of this uh, increase in the gas tax, uh, gas uh, price started uh, uh, weeks leading up to what happened there. <laughs> I think she needs like another Bloody Mary and a, a Jenny's. You're, you're 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 hearing the dying of neurons as she speaks. I think the other thing you're hearing is the best evidence that Democrats have it easy from the press. If the press had even a modicum of accountability that they forced on Democrats, they wouldn't have a lunatic like that in charge. I mean, can you imagine? Imagine a Republican leader. Just pick one out of a hat. 
uttering that sentence and that not being the lead of every late night show right. just, in America. Just think about how much effort goes into your typical Republican lawmakers prep session mm-hmm. for interacting with the media. You have to say it like this. You don't want them to take it out of out of uh, out of context. You want to make sure that your message is actually accurate. You want to make sure that your message is is clear. Yeah, seriously, shout out to all the like Republican comms people because that's a tough gig. Because you have the to other do all this work. Meanwhile, like she sounds like she lives in a nursing home. <laughs> she, she she can't decide whether it's a gas price hike a or tax, a tax. tax. And she's two heartbeats from the White House. I know. Can we? I, I I never do this. Can we listen to it one more time? Let's get back to the question, the larger issue about Putin's tax. That's a, a, that's really oh. Putin's gas hike. I'm that's surprised you can't hear like a Werther's clacking so around in there. Increase in the gas tax, uh, gas uh, price started. What? Uh, uh, it's just so cool. Up to what dead. happened there. I mean, they really conditioned their voters. Over four or five years of of Russia stolen election, Russia infl- they had uh, Glenn Greenwald tweeted out this polling that something like forty percent, I think, of of Democrats think that Russia directly changed vote totals, vote totals yeah. at voting machines. Yeah, in twenty sixteen, which, if you ask me, that's very treasonous. It's shocking. It's an insurrection, <laughs> kind of a, a thing that they're doing over there. But the fact is that they conditioned the environment of where they're like, oh. You know, there's this guy Putin, and he's and democracy could die at any second. And it, the only patriotic thing you can do as an American is to shut the fuck up and pay more for gas and groceries. But, and this is all Putin's fault. This has nothing to do with inflation, ninety five percent of which occurred before three weeks ago. <laughs> but but go back a few years prior to that, George Bush trips over a couple words, and they're like, "Oh, you know, he's not fit to be president." What what you know, he messed up a sentence. Or Trump with the Li- cognitive tests. Listen to this, right? She's a complete imbecile. I mean, that is, I mean, that is, it's, it was such an outrage to think that Trump, of all people, was not in charge of his like faculties when the guy is just like an unstoppable Dude, this, force and a dagger. At any moment, he could cut anybody. This sundowning geriatric is swallowing her dentures on live television. <laughs> Nobody says anything. And everybody's like, okay, yeah, I guess it's Putin's fault. Totally normal. So, so, all right. So, Steve Ratner, and I'm going to come back to one piece of audio, but Steve Ratner who is Obama's like GM Chrysler economics czar, right? This guy who's pretty well respected, I think in, in the economic world, certainly in democratic economic circles, he made himself a good amount of money. He's not, he's not tripping over his sentences. No, but he, but he's, he responds to the, what we've just heard from both Pelosi and Biden by saying, this is Biden's inflation and he needs to own it. Quote unquote. Right. You have Jonathan Carl who's saying if you look at the numbers, inflation really started to rise almost exactly when Biden came into the White House. So the Putin thing's not selling even to their allies. Right. So the press. (laughs) Right. So Biden's got to think of something else. Here's the Biden audio. I'm sick of this stuff. We have to talk about it because the American people think the reason for inflation is government spending more money. Simply not true. Holy shit. <laughs> War is peace. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, we have really gotten there. I mean, guys, what we just heard was three different explanations for this administration beyond the ones that we talked about before about how it was good or transitory. Mm-hmm. Right. Now we're in, in a three-week period. It's Putin's fault, but our spending is actually reducing 
inflation, uh-huh. so don't worry about it. Which is the most insane argument ever. That of all time. The more time. we spend, it helps inflation, folks. Of all time. We, I mean, we, have, we got a great Pelosi uh, audio on that. That it, it, like this is my absolute favorite piece because I, very rarely does somebody leave their senses so perfectly to illustrate to the American people that they have no fucking idea what they're talking about. Listen to Nancy Pelosi. Let me just condition this. It sounds like she's standing in a high school gymnasium, uh, not at the graduation. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Maybe she's about to get kicked out. But so the audio quality is not first class, but. Take a listen to this. Years, but we have to live in a view where even though the bills for 10 years, they measured for 20 years. And Imprimatur said a trillion dollars over 20 years is saved. So when we're having this discussion, it's important to dispel some of those who say, well, it's the government spending. No, it isn't. The government spending is doing the exact reverse, reducing the national debt. It is not inflationary, A. B, uh, we don't want to reduce the um, uh, increase in jobs, and we're very proud of this president breaking records, his historic numbers of jobs created in the first year of his term in office, and a lot of it traced to the uh, American Recovery Act. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, we're paying very close attention to it. Uh, this starts with Putin because of the global no, we gotta inflation get Putin for back reasons in. beyond the gas, the gas price. She did it again. Global again. She has enough prices to attack. have to deal with globally, but we have our responsibility to deal with it at home. And we have legislation that does just that. Uh, increasing supply uh, and oh. again... This is just painful. So did you catch that? I mean, so there, uh, can I start the dunkathon? A couple things, a a very surface thing. She says imprimatur, I believe. (laughs) Imprimatur is how how it's supposed to be said. Apropos of nothing. But you'd expect someone. Throw out the word. I feel like that's. But I like like how she starts by saying all this government spending reduces the debt no that, that, that and, and, that's the point and and and, and it, it combats inflation it reduces inflation but we're keeping our eye on it also it's actually putin's fault and we're going to do some things to mitigate it even though we said we're not responsible for it <laughs> it doesn't fucking follow any basic and, logic and, and she couched it in the in the standard lib they always say let's dispel with the fiction it's like that's how you know you're listening to lib when they start with let's dispel with this fiction and she starts it off. Here come the lies. Here come That's a like bunch of fiction. So, but but let's let's let me do this. We already know that libs are economically brain dead. We know that. Yes. Right. Just the the mere notion that government spending doesn't contribute to inflation. It actually reduces inflation if you can get your mind around that i'm gonna send you a free t-shirt so that's cool. fucking unbelievable it's so cool i mean that's the sort of thinking that gets you taking a wheelbarrow full of million dollar bills you know to the corner store to get a loaf of bread that's like zimbabwe level bullshit it's unbelievable and, but and, second if you can go, get go. you if you can get your mind around that which i don't know anybody who can but if you can i i assume it's this lib sort of demand side view where what you're trying to do is flood a bunch of cash that creates jobs that you can tax the shit out of 
that they can send that money back. Okay. Are you are you taxing at a hundred percent? Is that where we're heading right. here? Because that's the only way you get the inflation it's back, just, sweetheart. This is Keynesian economics on crack. It's I, incredible. I've never, I literally have never heard anyone more thoughtfully explain the idiocy of liberal economic policy than Nancy Pelosi the, just did. One, <laughs> one of the legs that they're standing on, it's kind of it drifts into this like MMT uh, madness that is shockingly becoming more and more mainstream among economic thinkers on the left. Is they're like, well, as long as the as the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the world, what do we care? You know, just like we can print dollars forever, we're, we're, we we can't be stopped. And then uh, just yesterday, you know, I'm reading the uh, headlines of Bloomberg in the morning, and Saudi Arabia is in talks with China to denominate their oil sales in the Chinese yuan, which oh oh well, there goes reserve. You know, like if if you're not being denominated in dollars, if the world is starting to lose confidence in the United States dollar. And the dollar, of course, as we all well, know. Then well, then that theory goes like to shit. It all goes to shit. And, yeah. and for, for, for them to so be, be so cavalier, because I think one of the, the, the most sacred things elected officials should consider is these are tax dollars. This is someone. Oh, they've thrown that coop a long time and, ago, And, and you've pal. taken money from them. They don't you know? see it that way. It's, it, you really should have a lot more respect when you're taking money from people from the hands that earn them. Oh, for sure. But these guys have no respect for any working class person. I mean, we know that well. Did you guys, this is on a little bit of a side, but did you happen to see Jim Clyburn's reaction? He's standing behind Pelosi and she starts <laughs> talking and spouting off and his hand, his hand just goes over his face. <laughs> it's incredible. And he's like, I can't believe what I'm listening to. This is a guy, Jim Clyburn, you know, he's, most of the audience, you know, not, not huge Jim Clyburn fans, uh, but but to be honest with you, the guy should probably be the Democratic speaker. Dude, I mean, he's he like would, singularly he, responsible for Joe Biden yeah, being president yes, and winning yeah. that primary because of what he did in South Carolina. Yeah, a lot the whole, of, a lot the of whole South Carolina, I mean, he, he basically killed Mayor Pete in, in a deal. I, I, someday, I hope to God, I can be in a room with enough heavy, heavy hitters on the Dem side to know what was the deal. I want to know that, What dude, was the deal I, that was cut? Because Mayor Pete was going ham. I really would pay to watch a documentary about how they orchestrated that whole yep. post-South Carolina gambit. Because it was like Iowa, Clove, New Clove Hampshire. drops out, so does Pete. Pete I don't, Pete, see, Pete I don't think ham. it's that. I, Democratic politics is not hard to figure out. It's it, it, The establishment of the Democratic Party, unlike the Republican Party, has put itself in charge of every single facet of governing and of of financing campaigns and elections like Hillary Clinton's entire world was financed by God knows who. Yeah. Right. But it created think tanks in, in, in this city that are beyond the pale in terms of their finance. I mean, the Center for American Progress exists because Hillary Clinton willed it. Right. And like Jim Clyburn is a absolutely made man in democratic establishment politics right he just is what he is you know who's not mayor pete mayor pete's not but you know who else is a made person or wants to be a made person amy klobuchar I, the right? way this I, is how, so this is how this whole shit unwinds it's not I, like some secret deal where you get fluffed up somewhere the democratic party is entirely a corporate neoliberal i agree but however when I, see, I, I think bernie was such an existential threat to them I yeah, Bernie no, was that's the problem. Right. Those and, that, and that was my last point. What you just put your finger on: the threat was not Mayor Pete and not Amy Klobuchar. It was Bernie Sanders who won the first two. But primaries. this is the thing. This is my counterpoint to that. Holmes is one thing. I would be interested to know about the Pete thing and the Klobuchar thing. What I really would love a full accounting of 
is Elizabeth Warren staying in the race and suddenly a huge super PAC props props her up to stay in the race and siphon votes away from Bernie. Ooh. That part of the story oh, that's interesting. is even more interesting. Yeah, no, no, no. There is something wow, to that. Wow, that is that, that, that's really a good point. smart. That's a very good point. Well, let's get back to the topic here. Here's the here's the good news, right? We just showed you that there is one party in this country that has lost its damn mind. The good news is the polling shows absolutely nobody is buying this. <laughs> absolutely no one is buying this. They are underwater like they have never been before in almost any one of the critical questions that we just and, and, discussed. And, and these are like th- these are polling numbers from ABC and CBS. I, I, so I want to start number one. I think it's very important for folks to know the facts because of all the gaslighting that's coming out of this administration. Number one, seventy percent disapprove of Biden's handling of gas prices. Seventy percent. Seventy percent disapprove of his handling of inflation. These are ABC polling numbers. <laughs> 70 percent 70 is that where dowd worked abc yeah yeah i, I bet i bet <laughs> yeah. root canal pulls better than 30 percent. right <laughs> seriously well if you put a red or a blue jersey on it it would i mean it 70 percent. 62 percent disapprove of his handling of the economy the cbs poll the economy yeah. the economy yeah, that's everything that's everything that's yeah. that's it and 63 percent want to increase oil production also Which, cbs poll. i mean i love that i love that that's a there are so many opportunities for republicans Number one, we have them dead to rights on the on the oil issue. They crippled American energy independence. That was their first priority. That's what Joe Biden did his first day in office. That was what he was focused on. His first action, cripple American energy independence. And Americans have, have realized he's to blame on that. Well, and that's huge. And, and I mean, this isn't surprising. We've been talking about this stuff on the program for a while now. But it explains why like the Stephen Ratners of the world yes, whether are very comfortable yep. going out publicly yep. and being like, the subtext here is, Hey man, it's not cre- all the, all the, all the sound bites we played. That shit is incredible with the voters. Yeah. But and like, there money. are people, there are people ringing a loud alarm bells in democratic politics saying, Hey, fucko, this isn't going to sell. <laughs> the smart money is starting to walk away from the table right. of they're like, I don't, don't blame me for these dumb bowsers. Listen, fellas, listen, fellas, do you know what Democrats have going for them? Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, these people could teach Zig Ziglar a thing or two about sales. <laughs> I love that. These, these guys these guys are going to reel it back. Trust me. Just listen to them talk. Man, they're really like uh, Willie Lomaning their I, way through the, the I got, country. So, right so, so I have more facts. This is straight up. You know, Shout out House GOP for putting this out on Twitter. I think it's great to break down the numbers like this. Last month was the third straight month of inflation at a 40-year high. Americans are paying more across the board. Used cars and trucks are up 41.2%. Lodging away from home is up 25.1%. Bacon is up 18.8%. Number one, that should be criminal. That should impeach. I, I, impeach. I, I, bacon should Bacon ne- goes yeah, up by 18%. It's impeachment time, folks. A, fr- a, friend of my, a friend of mine texted over the weekend that he paid $18 for bacon at Costco. Oh, it, at Costco. It, it, his, his follow-up text was, it's all over for Democrats. It's all over. It's all over. Pork is up fourteen percent, and and he, so so there uh, there there may very well not be a Democratic left standing elected office. I mean, and I mean this like sincere. I don't want to get overly rosy about this, but but if you are looking at the actual struggles that we as Americans are dealing with, 
And like people throughout this country, like making very difficult decisions right now. And they're all congratulating themselves and then mm-hmm. blaming Putin and saying, well, we've done so much to reduce the deficit by spending all this money. There is not a breathing human being who doesn't look like look at that and be like, what a bunch of horseshit. Oh, right. And what I you think is, is, is something that makes me, you know, feel very rosy about the situation is you're seeing the conservative grassroots activated, yeah. energized, ready to roll. It, you know, the Yunkin victory was not a one off. Our grassroots right. has stayed engaged. They're, they're here on more, the scene. Right. And, like, uh, I, I remember the other day uh, someone brought up, they, they tweeted at me that, like, Republicans should start doing voter registration drives at gas stations, right? And I was like, that's absolutely brilliant. Apparently, so, so this guy, Scott Pressler, some folks might see him on Twitter, uh, he, his whole thing is he basically just travels the country and registers voters, which, I mean— as someone who has tried that gig, who's done that in, in New York City, work. that's tough work. That's that's like real on the ground, difficult, difficult stuff. Uh, he has apparently been doing that. Like that's that's what's gonna really move the needle is stay engaged. You know, everyone that you know is feeling the same economic pain you are, and these polling numbers are showing. They know who is to blame. It's the folks who are trying to say this is a you know it's, it's Nancy saying this is a Putin guess tax hike uh i don't know what i'm gonna call it because this is completely pulled out of my ass trying to blame this guy over the past three weeks for what's been a year of economic failure and just indifference the thing is is that it would be one thing for these people because democrats have always had terrible ideas and they don't know a damn thing about economics but the cold indifference especially in the face of the pandemic of what all they did and what all they pushed in the face of all that the utter indifference that they have towards folks who are happy to be back at work struggling to make ends meet the utter indifference of being like oh why don't you just buy a tesla you know totally i mean well look this thing really hits home with doritos oh mm. you guys see this doritos cuts the number of chips in each bag <laughs> I mean, first of all I, I thought they were a little light to begin with right frankly. a lot of air in there yeah a lot of air but they blame the Biden inflation. <laughs> so this is according to the Free Beacon, our good friends Foley and, and Co. over there. Uh, food company Frito-Lay has cut down the number of chips in each bag of Doritos as record inflation raised the production expenses. A bag of Doritos has five fewer chips in it than it used to, the company told Quartz. Inflation is hitting everyone. We look just a little bit. Out, we took just a little bit out of the bag so we can give you the same price and you can keep enjoying our chips. Yikes. I mean, here's the thing is, though, you think about that number. So if you're trying to be good and you want your, you know, a nice little treat, you'll have maybe five Doritos. And that's what's been cut. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you're at a Super Bowl party, you know, you're watching yeah, games take with your it buddies, right out. you got your five Doritos, you got some wings. I don't, I don't that's know. That's gone. I don't know anybody that says, I'm going to open this bag of Doritos and only eat five. <laughs> no, I, right. I've, I've never. I've I mean, never if it's Cool Ranch, I'm going straight to the bottom. That's your one? <laughs> The yeah. bottom bottom's a lot closer what, than it's ever been. Yeah. What's your what's your what's your Doritos, Ashbrook? Uh, I like the very spicy Doritos. Yeah, same. Very, very spicy. That's me. Doritos. Is that right? Oh, I mean, they are great. I'm a Cool Ranch man myself. Cool Ranch. Honestly. I mean, Cool Ranch is terrific. Cool Ranch yeah. for days. Also, another Frito Lay product, the Lay's. I don't. You're gonna make fun of me. The baked Lay's barbecue. Oh no, it's good. good. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. They are good. You know, I mean, they some people good. look down on a baked chip, being like. Well, I don't care for a baked chip, but those are good. They're fantastic. Yeah, they see, really I, are good. See, I'm a salt and vinegar guy. And that's really? why I think that's... No, I like those too. I think I'm a condition. I, I, like I, I love that Eastern Carolina vinegar-based pulled pork, which is when I see these inflation prices. It just really... 
I mean, it hates me, but like that's my that's my Frito Lay's go to. You yeah, gotta like the variety. There's a lot. This is a variety. Try program. buying a pork shoulder in this environment. It is go. insane. It's like you got to take a mortgage out for a goddamn. Seriously, you're <laughs> uh, gonna have a pig picking. So, gotta go to the bank. Let's get a loan. So here is the last uh, bit of audio that we'll play you from Kamala Harris. It doesn't sound like she's able to sell things very well herself. You won't be surprised. But there's even a few people at the. Uh, DNC general session that seemed confused at what this uh, lady is talking about. The child tax credit cut childhood poverty for the children. The children. <laughs> Man, I, I, can't, I can't believe she had to drop out before Iowa. <laughs> It's probably staff clapping. So inspiring. <laughs> I mean, somebody, somebody raised the issue with me today. Like, God forbid, you know, something happens and she becomes president of the United oh, States. Man. Like, what if that person was representing your country on a day-to-day basis? Like, we play a clip almost every show. I think every show where we play a clip. You can't have it. You, you got to impeach her. I mean, she, what she says... On a day-to-day basis, in my mind, is impeachable. Like you can't. There is no competence. It's it's like we're seeing. It's like we're seeing the inverse of Donald Trump, and that Donald Trump was a reality TV show host who became a politician. Kamala Harris is a politician who's become a reality show (laughs) actor. You know what I mean? I think I think you guys nailed it so so cleanly. I was having a discussion this past weekend. I was trying to explain, like, the mystique of, like, what Trump had is when Kamala is speaking, everyone across the world knows this is this is an absolute idiot. This is, like, a moronic thing. She's like, the child tax credit, we did it for the children. And she's, like, waiting around for applause. No, and no people, one gets the case. There's, like, four seconds, and they're like, what? Okay. No one understands that it's supposed to be funny. Meanwhile, like, <sighs> the, the, the whole victory of Trump is the guy was a madman. You didn't know what he was going to do because he understood how to work a crowd. He understood what gets a response. And I think the the whole Russia situation, like, Putin had no idea what this guy's going to do. When, right. when when he's, like, when when, Putin's, uh, when Trump's sitting down with Putin, he's like, listen, you, you go into Ukraine. All those beautiful golden towers. She's like, all those beautiful golden towers. They'll be blown up. Turrets. And Putin's like, Turrets. so good. Putin's like, I don't know whether this guy's serious and it's <laughs> fucking terrifying. <laughs> you know? Meanwhile, Joe Biden is spending months like, uh, please, uh, I'm trying to, uh, Putin, don't go into Ukraine. Uh, I mean, we've all seen the way that the world reacts to that. Like, w- when there are people clinging onto planes, falling off with Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan and 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 the better option here is uh, uh this lady Kamala who cannot put together a sentence that makes any sense. No, it makes no I sense mean, at Biden all. Biden can't put together a sentence. She can't put together one that makes any sense. So at least she's got like, you know, the, the verb participle. She's got all the parts of a sentence, but she's like None of the child tax sense. credit helped kids. Well, I mean I guess Thank that's you. why it's a child tax credit. Thank and you. she's waiting for applause. Like she said something profound. She's an idiot. I, I like I know a lot of folks say that I'm worried if, if, if you know, God forbid, Biden passes away and, and you end up with Kamala, all the like crazy woke shit she's going to do. I think somehow she might even be more ineffective. Like oh, this no. is someone her own staff left. Like Simone Sanders just now she got a show. Yeah. Everyone's like, I'd rather be well, on that's TV the best than part deal with being a Democrat. Is you get a show once you fail. Right. Um, so I want to skip because I think this is a good bookend to this. So we already covered about how they're trying to sell this disaster, which is selling to nobody. But they're also 
is an effort. I almost can't believe that I'm saying this. What their plan at the White House was, was to try to invite TikTok stars. Oh, God. TikTok stars, right? So they are bringing in people who have large followings on a communist China-based platform to talk nonsense because apparently they can feed these people nonsense and explain their rationale to the masses. Do we have audio of this? You, This lady, there's this young girl. I don't know her from Adam. Apparently she's very popular on TikTok. Myself, I don't care about giving, I, I don't care for giving my information away to the Chinese, so I'm not on TikTok, but many people are. Here's what she had to say. Why is gas so expensive and why is the United States inflation rate at a four-time decade high? I had the opportunity four time to ask decade. the White House four time decade. down the street is $7 and here's what they said. $7. The obvious reason we're getting out of a two-year pandemic, when use goes up, price goes up. But the call was predominantly about Ukraine and Russia, so how does that relate? Russia is one of the top three producers of oil, and it is actually their number one revenue source. <laughs> now, with Putin starting this horrific fight between Ukraine and Russia, nobody wants to work with him and do an international trade. Do international so, trade. Do. <laughs> this is for real. This is their well. strategy. For the people who can't pay $7 for a gallon of gas, there's an app called Gas Buddy that shows you the cheapest oh, gas. Oh, okay. There's an app for that. Oh, there's an app for that? Because there's only one or two stations that are selling expensive gas <laughs> this is the dumbest goddamn thing i've ever heard in my entire so these people these people it's not enough for them to just abjectly lie to your face and try to convince you that spending money reduces the deficit they then enlist these unsuspecting 18 year olds on tiktok to try to carry these talking points into into the masses are you kidding me it's so cool that the people these democrats who complain the most about disinformation on social media enlist a star of a Chinese spyware app <laughs> to yeah. push disinformation Damn. into the American electorate. Like that's in, that is incredible. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. I mean, and that's exactly what this is. That is absolute misinformation. Like I want to find if, if I, is there any credible economist who would sign off on those statements? No, no. not one. No, that's why they one. asked the TikTok. They got to get the TikTok gal. I love how she acknowledges there, like, well, the call was actually about Russia and Ukraine, so let me read from the talking yes, points. Yeah, let me give you the other things. Let me give you the other There stuff. could be other things that are causing this inflation, these high gas prices, but I was told by my handlers that <laughs> it's actually Putin. And, and you know what? I, I can have a, a personal story that I think is germane to this conversation. So years ago when America was great and Donald Trump was president, I got an invite to visit uh, the White House. They were having, you know, Folks who have a following online or, you know, do memes and such like that. Dude, I know I was supposed to be there and, and my wife gave birth that day. I think day. that's way more important. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And and you got a great kid. So I would absolutely, you know, <laughs> pick that over this event, which I mean, it was great. I met a lot of great folks. I, I, I went and uh, two things I think are very important, especially comparing to what just transpired with the Biden administration. Number one, they gave no marching orders. What became very clear is because, like, the White House audio and the whole discussion that they had with these TikTok influencers has been released. It was marching orders. They're like, we need you to go out and tell people this. Right. Jen, and they uh, do it. Saki straight up said that, like, Russia uh, stole the 2016 election. She, like, she says that to these people to go push. That's straight up misinformation, right? Um, 
they were given marching orders. I remember at the Trump event, it was like more of like a meet and greet. They treated you, know? you with some respect. It was like, hey, you know, <laughs> you folks have opinions online. That's wonderful. You know, here's here here's President Trump and the, and and the guy's a sitting president. You know, he's got his finger on the nuke. He's talking to everyone like they're an absolute normal person. They, Biden didn't even talk to these TikTokers. They like send Saki and, and right. some clown ass they who just, was on they, the Hillary they campaign. They get these TikTok stars to be a mouthpiece for the regime. It's, it, I mean, it's dystopian. It's like dystopian. At a, at a base level, it's incredibly dystopian. That's exactly to watch, right. To watch this 18-year-old and like, look, it's not her fault. She's 18 years old. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. But the fact that she will sit there and I mean, if you watch the video, there's probably 10 or 12 cuts in this thing because she's got to read from this outrageous <laughs> script. Just well, you could tell there's 10 and, to 10 or 12. And, I mean, and, they and cut the second the thing I think that's key here is the response from the press of when when Trump had invited folks over. They were like, what an unserious administration. It's unbelievable. There are so many more pressing issues. I mean, I think everyone listening to this remembers how great a time we were having back then in the Trump administration. The economy was booming. Americans were working. There was, there was, People there was, weren't invading places. We weren't staring down possibly World War Three. you Biden, know? Inflation Biden, running amok. Biden brings in the TikTok influencers Bingo. and the press is like, oh, so smart. Yep. Oh, it's yep. a brilliant and, and savvy. strategy. Out. Mm. And it's so quick. Because Circumventing the traditional you remember Beltway when, media aside, filter. Do you remember when Obama yeah, had the Fruit gal, Loops. The gal who bathed in Fruit Loops yeah. to the White House? Yeah, I had an interview with her. And, yeah, and the geez. horrific thing is that like now you're saying... That was the dignified presidency. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Very, very good. Is, uh, journalists are like oh well i have to worry about my brand i'm an influencer <laughs> God. Like, i think that's what's happened is, i mean journalism's dead of course they attacked trump and he didn't even try to use them as like a regime mouthpiece it's just horrific horrific on all levels so i know we're throwing a lot at you but we got one more thing that we need to cover here because kamala's <laughs> trip to romania oh no was Absolutely unbelievable. I saw I saw like a little bit of the international coverage on this as an aside. It's not in our audio package, but like the Australians are literally laughing, belly laughing on their newscasts about her quotes. <laughs> <laughs> We're respected in the world again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we have we have one more uh, little bit of audio from Kamala here. If I can ask you, Madam Vice President. President Biden has said that Americans will feel some pain for the sake of defending freedom and liberty, but there does seem to be no end game in sight. How long should Americans expect? How long should we be bracing for um, this really sort of um, historic inflation and some unprecedented gas prices? Sure. Sure. Do you want to go? Should I go? In terms of uh, the discussions that the president, Johannes, and I had, uh, they ranged in subject, including the issue of the Black Sea, and I'll let him explain in more detail what as he would like. What the fuck is she uh, talking about? She's trying to pivot it to him. She's thrown it to the... Fully aware you know what? And, and such as the Iraq. Such as the Iraq. Great callback. About the concerns that they have about the entire region and, frankly, the vulnerability. Frankly. frankly, frankly, but frankly, it, it is great. And, you know, I mean, this is an audio format, so I, I highly recommend you look up that video. RNC Research t- uh, tweeted it out. It is so funny <laughs> when you watch the video. The question is about American domestic policy. 
inflation and gas prices. She tries to pivot she, to him. She She's looks. Getting, she looks at the president of Romania. Like, do you want to take this? Look, one? You want to feel this? Hey, hey, man, do you, you want to take this one? I got to imagine just for a I, moment, like, just for a moment, he was like, maybe I should. Like, holy shit! <laughs> like, like he. Halfway through, he's like, "Man, I got to rescue her." If, <laughs> I mean, let me tell you, one hundred percent. If I'm president of Romania, I was like, "Well, number one, <laughs> I'd hit him with the Count Chocula." Oh, Count I hit him Chocula. with the Count Chocula. I love it. I love it. All right, you guys want some animal news? Yes, we Lo- need some. A loose camel in Tennessee oh, killed boy. killed two people. Ah, oh, jeez. I mean, I feel bad for the people. Yeah, well, this is, you've called it on camels. You said they're yeah, mean as hell. They're mean as fuck. Especially uh, is, a loose camel. The, yeah. You don't want a loose You don't want that, dude. Nobody wants a loose camel. Uh, loose camel, according to The Hill, attacked and killed two people on a Tennessee farm, authorities said on Thursday. Deputies responded to Shirley Farms in Obion County about three hours west of Nashville at 4.44 p.m. on Thursday after the camel was reported loose in the farm and... I don't know. Apparently, this thing went and killed two people. I, I knew you said you warned us, Smug. I did. I remember. So, so when I went to Egypt, and I dealt with these guys. So I had the I had the, I had the amenable. <laughs> I dealt with these guys. <laughs> I, had, I had the amenable camel who was like, "All right, I'll put up with this," you know. Uh, and I flew with, out there with with family. My sister's camel. It was great because it just like laid down. We're out here with pyramids and and, and the like. Uh, you know the the guy who controls the camels, whatever titles given to that uh is like you know get up camel and the camel's like no like the camel is just like staring him down like f you and the thing is is that i, I don't know if people appreciate the size of a camel like are you gonna tell this gigantic beast actually you're gonna do my bidding they're they're ready to fuck you up man like i have no beef with any camel you know they're enormous creatures they're Angry animals, angry animals. <laughs> they spit at you. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that like it's, it's almost like we're working for them. They're not working for us. It's a whole different beast well, than I mean, horses. We t- where like you put a blinder on a horse, the dumb thing's like, all right, tell me what to do. <laughs> camel decides what's doing it all the time. <laughs> well, apparently the officers had to put the poor camel down. I don't blame them, man. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're very uncooperative. <laughs> it's already got blood on its hands. I'm not dealing with this camel anymore. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So um, there well, is a good loose camel, though. Last thing I'll add: you go to Bodega in New York. If you need a cig, it's late night. You know, if you're at a bar, you can go next door. They got a loose camel. It's what maybe a buck. Have a cigarette. Congrats, everybody! Congrats. <laughs> so, last thing, and I wish we had Hollywood hand in here for this. We'll have to bring her in for more commentary on it when it actually happens. But Pete Davidson is going to space. <laughs> We got so many tweets about this. I'm this like, are you guys stop like winning? Memeing reality, dude. So, according to CBS News Saturday Night Live star Pete Davidson is again in the news, but this time it's for an out of this world reason. The 28 year old comedian is heading to space aboard the Blue Origin mission on March 23. Uh, that's the Bezos operation. Am I correct? The fake space, Blue yeah, Origin the, fake space. Yeah, it's the fake. It's the fake space. But I got listen. There's so many ways we can go with this. Oh, man. There's so many. A billion different angles. Let me just tell you, this is my only warning. And I don't know what the the crew looks like on Blue Origin. But if your wife is signed up for this sucker. Right. He's breaking up a marriage. You do not want that aircraft to leave the ground. (laughs) (laughs) You do not. You do not leave Pete Davidson in the room with an unsuspecting woman at any point. Right. No matter what. 
This guy is the world's greatest swordsman. I guess I'm surprised he's only 28 years old. The guy's got at least 45 years worth of content. <laughs> That's the thing is that like the guy's resume is is way beyond his years. I'm I've 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 gone back and forth. Now I think I'm I'm firmly anti Pete, and I think this solidifies it. Shout out to a uh, uh, member of, of our team over here, McDaniel. He he gave like a chart of like what what each layer of space is. You've got the troposphere, the stratosphere, mesosphere, thermosphere, exosphere, and I've, as we've previously discussed, Blue Origin only flies to fake space. It's not of real space. It's fake space to begin with. Yeah. So so Pete's going up. He's having a glorified little trip up into the clouds. It's like basically a flight. You know, it, it, this is suckers. It's a high This is flight. suckers getting a plane ticket that just has a takeoff and a landing within 20 minutes. You know, it's like imagine if, if, if you're paying 20 to 50 times your airplane fare, but yeah, the but takeoff and landing happens, you know, in 10 minutes. It's the done Car- deal. It's the Caraman line. Yeah. And, and, uh, only 66 miles up. And this Blue Origin flight only lasts 10 minutes and 10 seconds. There you go. He can break up your marriage in 10 minutes. He can definitely get that done. That's That's the problem with that. (laughs) I mean, look, ask Kanye. It's not good. You don't want to leave that guy alone. Yeah. But you know what? My man Pete probably didn't pay a dime for this. They're probably paying him. They're probably paying him. The life of this guy, right? Just just an absolute scumbag. Terrible (laughs) dude. (laughs) Living it up. (laughs) I love it, though. All right, so it's probably not the uh, the best intro into <laughs> Dave McCormick, who is a very, very serious yeah. guy who's running for Senate. I apologize, sir. I know you've run amazing, uh, important things, and, and now your interview is coming after a Pete <laughs> Davidson segment. But and we had a good camel fighting segment, too. Yeah, so. yeah well, we had to lighten it up. We're so serious. Uh, so here's the interview. I want to welcome to the program somebody I'm sure you all have been hearing a lot about. Uh, he's running for Senate in Pennsylvania. All, he's got a lot of people running for Senate in Pennsylvania, but he's made a real splash here in the five, six weeks that he's been in this race. Uh, former CEO of Bridgewater Associates. He's got a resume that I think most people would die for. Uh, David McCormick, welcome to the program. Hey, great to see you, Josh. Thanks for having me. Listen, uh, for those of you who don't know, Mr. McCormick, uh, you've been around a while doing a lot of different things, right? I mean, you were you were a West Point graduate. You served in the Gulf War. You were in the Bush administration. You had this incredibly successful career in the financial industry. And now here you are running for Senate. Well, the way my dad would describe that is that I, can't, I couldn't hold down a job. <laughs> and it, and, and it, I honestly, it was only recently he said, well, maybe it's been OK. Maybe maybe your choices weren't so bad. But uh <laughs> Yeah, listen, it's been a it's been a wild ride. I, um, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I was born outside of Pittsburgh and I grew up in Bloomsburg, which is a little town outside of Scranton, Wilkesbury, about 45 minutes away. And my folks had a farm. My dad worked at the college and, uh, you know, it was a it was a great rural Pennsylvania upbringing. We uh, bailed hay and I trimmed Christmas trees. We had a Christmas tree farm for a while. We uh, I, I busboyed at the local restaurant and, uh, you know, we hunted the first Monday. Of, of deer season was t- took off school. School was canceled. Oh yeah. Uh, where everybody could hunt, of course. And, uh, and you know, it was uh, these little towns across Pennsylvania, Shikalimi and Shikshini and Sealands Grove and Mount Carmel. These are, these are the places that I uh, grew up playing football and wrestling and wrestling. My, my, uh, my parents could tell you wrestling, not my grades is what, uh, what got me into college. <laughs> <laughs> and West well, Point. It, it turns out you were sort of an accomplished wrestler. I was, I was, a, I was a pretty decent wrestler. Yeah. I had, I had grand ambition of playing football at Penn state. 
And, uh, and as it turned out, I was better at wrestling than, uh, than football. And my, uh, my uh, West Point came and recruited me. And I went to West Point, I wrestled, and I was the uh, co-captain of the wrestling team, went to the nationals a couple of times uh, at Division I nationals. And, uh, and, and wrestling really defined West Point for me. I mean, I, it's, it's, you know, it's Division I, uh, you're working hard to compete at that level. And I left uh, West Point and I went into the Army. Yeah. And I uh, went to Ranger School, uh, went to the 82nd Airborne Division, where I was a paratrooper. And that, of course, is the rapid deployment force. Yeah, right. So uh, that, you know, when something happens, uh, that's the that's the group that goes. And so I was uh, just so happened around 1991. There was some stuff happening. There was some stuff happening. Right. It was actually uh, 1990, um, 1990. I was uh, my unit was out in Arkansas training and we were out in the swamps uh, in the middle of the night. And I literally got a radio call in the middle of the night and it said, go to these grid coordinates. And I went to those grid coordinates and it was a huge, big dirt runway. And there were huge airplanes coming in to load all our equipment on. We loaded up from uh, Arkansas. We went back to Fort Bragg for a day, cleaned our equipment, loaded ammunition, and we went to Saudi Arabia. And uh, my unit was on the border uh, of Kuwait and Saudi, uh, Kuwait and Saudi Arabia to keep, you know, keep the Iraqis at bay until we could build up enough forces to go into Iraq. So, uh, so that experience, you know, those first 18 years in Pennsylvania and then that nine years in the military, that kind of defined me. It uh, defined my sense of America, uh, duty, honor, country from West Point, uh, and, you know, some a calling bigger than yourself uh, is something that I think I internalized. And, uh, and those roots in rural Pennsylvania is the kind of uh, values and virtues that I, that I, that I hope I carry, I've carried through my life. Yeah, it's got to be a pretty quick transition to sitting in a field and in Arkansas. And then all of a sudden you're in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Well, uh, well, the, 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 the thing about Arkansas in August, uh, is, <laughs> yeah, the thing about Arkansas in August is that, I mean, you, you thought you, you can't find mosquitoes or chiggers that big <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. anywhere else. I mean, it'll, it'll, uh, it'll test a man. And then Saudi Arabia, of course, uh, in the, in the middle of the summer is, uh, is about a hundred degrees. And so, uh, it took some, uh, it t- you know, just to tell you a funny story, when we first landed, I don't know what the thinking was logistically, but we, um, we had ammunition, but not food or not enough food. Ooh. So, uh, so we contracted with the, uh, the Burger King and uh, all the fast food restaurants in, in, in Dahran, which was where, uh, you know, which was where we landed. And they, that was the first week or two were meals that were provided by just a Burger King. Exactly. Chicken, <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, it was uh, it was kind of ridiculous to get started, but uh, but you got to be a pretty young guy to make that work and then go out to the battlefield. That would be for for those of us of a certain age. That would slow you down. <laughs> you, do, you do, you do indeed. Yeah. So anyway, that was the that was the military experience. I came back to Pennsylvania after that, and uh, I uh, went to Pittsburgh. I I ended up running a company there. Uh, I joined a company when it was small. We 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 grew it and uh, took it public, and I uh, I became the CEO. And that was about a thousand people, about 600 jobs in Pittsburgh. And it was part of this amazing, you know, Pittsburgh tech revitalization that happened. I mean, t- Pittsburgh really came alive. It was a renaissance in Pittsburgh in the, uh, in the nineties and the two thousands, uh, where these tech firms really changed. Did you, the did you always know that you had this sort of entrepreneurial side? Because I mean, obviously the West point and then through the service, you, you obviously had the service piece to it, but I'm always interested when you get in and, and build the kind of success you've had over the decades did you right away did you know that this is kind of what you wanted to do 
you know, you sort of learn what you're, what the kind of person you are and what you're good at. And, and I was never the guy, frankly, that the founder of the company I joined, he came out of business school and he, he took a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of debt on his credit cards and he started it. And, um, and I wasn't that guy, to be, you know, to be frank with you. I was the guy who could always help take that thing and make it bigger and better. I could help take something and, and grow it and, and, and lead it and, uh, you know, leave it, lead it through hard times and good times and bad times. And that was what I eventually did later uh, when I ran another company called Bridgewater, which is I joined it at a time where it was already established and, you know, in, in Bridgewater's case, very successful, but I helped grow it and, and make it more successful and institutionalize it and, and lead it uh, through hard times and, and good times. But I have a lot of respect for those people that start something with, with nothing. Yeah, no kidding. Create something out of thin air. I've I've never been that guy, but I've always uh, been able to join something and add value and 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 lead it. Yeah. Well, the other side of it is, I mean, for those of us who've been in republic Republican politics for a while, you've been no stranger to your support for for the party and candidates across the country for quite some time, as long as I can remember, actually. But but your professional career also had its constant intersection with uh, the public sector as well. I mean, you, you served in a couple of different roles, uh, a few different roles actually during the, the Bush administration. Yeah, you know, that was, uh, that, was a call, that was really a call to service uh, in the sense that uh, I had been running that company and I sold it uh, in 2004 and the deal closed a year later in 2005. And uh, President uh, Bush had won a second term and I had helped a bit on, the, on his campaign when he was governor. And so I was invited to interview for a couple of jobs. And I, I eventually took a job uh, in the Commerce Department, which is quite relevant uh, today. It was the job that looked at what exports of technology we could do around the world. And in particular, it was, a, it was a, uh, an issue with China mm. and where to draw the line on technology exported to China. And it, it's uh, funny, in, in retrospect, I was viewed at the time as a very hawkish uh, person on China and, uh, you know, gave speeches at the time. I found one recently, a speech that I gave in Pittsburgh, if you can believe it, uh, in 2006, talking about the risk of China's military modernization, talking about intellectual property theft, technology, uh, talking about human rights and saying, you know, China has a choice uh, in terms of which direction to go. And sadly, uh, it, it went a different direction in 2013, in particular, when she came on board it took, a, it took a sharp turn to uh, a direction of aggression and, and ambition on the world, which really threatens our interest. But, but even you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I was thinking about those issues. And then I went on to work in the White House, mm -hmm. uh, was Nash, Deputy National Security Advisor, and uh, was really at the intersection of national security issues and, uh, and economic issues. And then in the, in the last two years of the administration, I was the Undersecretary of Treasury, which uh, you know, turned out... It, it was many thought it was going to be a boring job. It turned out not to be so boring because oh, the, financial, the financial crisis came. But, but I honestly feel like those four years were dog years where, uh, you know, there was four years of, of, of calendar time, which turned out to be decades of, of experience at the highest levels of government because of the crises that I lived through and the roles that I had. I feel uh, grateful to have uh, been able to, have those experiences and, and frankly, grateful to be able to serve because, uh, uh, as I said to you earlier, that ethos of service has been in my family, my mom and dad. And it's, it's really what I'd like to believe defines uh, who I am and, and my career. Yeah. So here you are running for Senate and uh, 
listen, I, Dave, I got to imagine you got a pretty good life, right? You've got <laughs> your CEO of this big company, very successful, probably doing kind of what you'd exactly want to do. And that now here you are throwing your hat back in the ring in, you know, one of the most hotly contested states in the union, both in terms of the primary and in terms of eventually the general in a state that Republicans have to have, right? If they're going to get the majority, they got to keep this seat. Um, what is it about this particular challenge that brought you forward here? Well, you know, you're, you're right. I went from a moment where I was sort of completely in control of my my schedule, my time. Right. Probably for the first time in life, you're like, no, this yeah, is pretty good. This is, like, this is what you, work, you work all those years to get to the point where you have complete control. And then I uh, you're right. I've, la- I've I've left that behind. I'm a little bit like the Vikings, you know, that, that uh, <laughs> uh, take off for foreign shores and burn your boat. You know, I've made a huge departure here. And I didn't, I didn't make it lightly. Um, you know, frankly, Dina and I, uh, I think, you know, you know, my yeah. wife, Dina Powell McCormick, and uh, she, she and I made this decision together. And frankly, you know, in many ways, she's, she's better at this than I am. In fact, you know, we often go, we'll go campaigning together. And like, you know, it's a little disappointing if you're the candidate, because 20 minutes in people lean over and say, why, why isn't she running? Yeah. Why is this guy? Why is this guy the candidate? <laughs> she's, the, she's the better of the two, I'm afraid. But um but, you know, we weren't planning on running. I wasn't planning on running for anything. And um, and then Afghanistan happened. Oh, interesting. And for me, as a combat vet, as someone who, you know, loves our country, thinks our country's truly exceptional, the humiliation of that, putting aside the, the question of leaving or not leaving, let's put that aside for a second. But the, the, the incompetence, the lack of accountability, um, the weakness that it showed uh, to the world. And, and in fact, I was one of many people at the time who said, this is going to invite tyrants around the world to test us, whether it's North Korea or whether it's uh, uh, Iran or whether it's China or, or whether it's Russia. And that's sadly what's happened. But it was that moment that we started to have a real conversation about this Senate seat. And, uh, and it was, you know, my roots are deep in Pennsylvania. I'm a seventh generation Pennsylvanian. I, I own a family farm. I've got my, my high school buddies that are still close friends. So Pennsylvania, if, if, you know, if I was ever going to run for elected office, it was always going to be Pennsylvania where I've spent the majority of my life. But this seat, um, just this seat all of a sudden came into my mind as something of enormous importance. And it wasn't just Afghanistan, although that was the catalyst. It's, it's the direction of the country. Right. And it's the weakness and the wokeness that I fear is overtaking our society, the weakness of the, of the Biden administration, the socialist um, economic policies that I, I think are at the at the very core of the inflation problem we have, the energy policies, which have taken us from energy independence to energy dependence and, and invited uh, aggression in Europe. And, you know, I think we we in Pennsylvania and we in the, our country have the capacity for energy dominance in the world. We're unique. The border, I mean, could you find a more of a contrast from the last couple of years of President Trump and the and the first year of Biden where I went to the border a couple of weeks ago, Josh. I mean, as bad as it looks on television, it's worse. Yeah. I mean, it's complete chaos, a complete lack of control, complete lack of sovereignty. And that matters to Pennsylvanians because you know we're the worst state in the union for fentanyl, yeah. fentanyl deaths, fentanyl abuse. And it's our schools where you know this wokeness and this history of America uh, that I don't even recognize, uh, this notion that you should be embarrassed about who you are and the idea, you know, the thing I always appreciated most about our country is the ability to raise your hand and disagree. And even that is in question because of cancel culture. So all those things to me added up to, okay, if you're blessed, like I've been blessed, Dina's been blessed, we've been blessed by the American dream. 
We've been blessed by everything this great country has to offer. If you're in, if you're in our position, or frankly, many of the positions of, of people you and I know well, you had to ask yourself, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And um, this, for me, seemed like a great calling, a way to serve the, you know, the great people of, of, of our Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, which is a really important state. It needs to have someone in Washington that can fight and lead and be a force of nature on, on, on day one, someone who doesn't need on the job training. But as you said, it's also, I mean, you, you know, this world better than I, but all my math shows that uh, this seat will likely determine uh, whether Democrats or Republicans lead the Senate. And, uh, and so boy, if you say you've been blessed and, uh, and you're called to service, it's hard to imagine a better way to contribute if, if I can, if I can succeed, which, which I plan to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's certainly a life adjustment. No question about that is, is, so it's about six weeks ago was when you first got in and I have read a lot. You've been hitting the trail hard. What are the takeaways from the voters of Pennsylvania you're hearing at this point? No, there's a couple things. Um, you know, first uh, they're angry. They're angry. Um, you know, I think president Trump uniquely tapped into that um, frustration across our country, across Pennsylvania, people who felt they'd been forgotten uh, by uh, Washington, forgotten by our policies in trade or globalization or technology or education, they, the, the military. I mean, you know, 20 years of war, it disproportionately affected, you know, people in the lowest quartile, socioeconomic quartile in, in Pennsylvania and others. And Pennsylvania is one of the places that contributes the most per capita mm-hmm. to our military. So, um, they're angry and they see the direction the country's headed in. Now, the things I was just describing, those are the issues, those kitchen table issues. If you're a working family and inflation's up 8% and your gas is up 50%, I mean, my pickup truck, which is from my family farm, I'm driving that around the state. Um, I'm not exaggerating. When I campaign a year ago, it cost 80 bucks to fill it, 75, 80. It's, um, it's a, it was 115 120 when I started this campaign, it's 150 now. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I mean, you, you, if you're a working family, I mean, you, 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 this is a big deal. And so um, they're angry. Um, they're, they're deeply worried about the direction of, of the country. They're yearning leaders, leaders who will fight for them, leaders who are selfless. In other words, it's not about self aggrandization. It's not about self-dealing. It's not about this is the way your, you know, your political leaders are going to make a living. It's not a, a way that they're going to create their wealth or reputation. People who are actually going to represent their interest and fight for their interest. And, um, and that's, that's what I'm hearing. But mostly I'm hearing they feel like their country is slipping away from them. Yeah. I, I'm not even overstating. I'm not overstating that. I mean, they. Oh, and I think it is. I yeah, mean, yeah, they're yeah. right. Right. They're right. And so that's what I feel. I feel so much validation of this is the right decision, regardless of winning or losing. Mm -hmm. I feel so much validation when I do these, you know, every day I'm doing diners and VFWs and fire halls and I'm meeting people and I feel so much validation that, um, that this is a great calling and a great, a great privilege to be able to run. And it'll be a a greater privilege still to be able to serve if I, if I, if I win this. Yeah. I mean, I tell everybody who's interested in politics, they ought to spend time on a campaign and go meet people and talk to people. You really get a, a better sense than, you know, what the media portrays political campaigns to be about. Cause like you said, you well, that's the other thing you, 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 you reminded me, man, are they dialed in Yeah, and, and they, they've just dialed in even more since I started, like they come to the, they come to breakfast or the meetings 
with five questions. They've done their homework. They know what they're worried about. Um, they, they, they're ready to call BS if they don't think something is right. consistent with, I mean, it's, uh, gives you a lot of faith in democracy. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, I mean, look, we've got primaries all over the country, so it's not unique to, to Pennsylvania at all. You've got a bunch of candidates you're running against. I saw a poll, I think it was out last week that showed you leading, which, you know, in six weeks, that's pretty dang good. Um, how do you feel about the state of the race at this point? Well, I feel great about the state of the race in the sense that, you know, everything in life to me is, is, uh, is just every day getting better. So I feel like our campaign's getting better. I feel like our team's getting better. I feel like I'm getting better as a candidate. It's, it's a real transition. I mean, in part because part of your job is to talk about yourself all the time and, and a little bit say how great you are, you know, and that's not a, that's not a, it's not a natural thing for me to kind of do that. I haven't had to do that. So I'm learning how to um, be a candidate, which is, which is an, a new thing. So I feel great about that state of improvement. Of course, the polls are, are, are encouraging and validating, but, you know, as somebody who's competed all my life, competed in wrestling, competed in, in, sport, in sports, comp- really my whole life is about competition, that the idea that you're in the lead does not give me anything other than like the desire to bear down harder, right. tougher, um, pick up the intensity. Uh, there's, you know, there's no way to get through this without just deep perseverance and discipline and focus. And so, um, so I feel good about where we are, but I'm certainly very focused on the next eight weeks, which is about what it is between now and the, uh, and the primary. Yeah. Eight weeks. And then, you know, survive in advance. And at that point, the party itself is going to have a lot of work to do to bring all sides back together, particularly in a state like Pennsylvania, people forget even in a good year, Pennsylvania is a competitive state. It's, it's tough. You got to win. Yeah. suburban Philly, you got to yeah. win suburban Pittsburgh, and then you got to roll up as many votes across the center of the state as you can. You feel pretty confident about your ability to sort of have a, a statewide appeal here. I do. Yeah, I do. I, um, I grew up, you know, Pennsylvania is very diverse. It's, you know, it's a little bit like the country in the sense you have these two big urban centers and then you have another other media markets, but you have this huge rural part in the middle, uh, which is which is very conservative, as you know, Josh. And uh, I grew up in that part, uh, that part of uh, of the very conservative part of our state and of our party. Uh, that's you know my service as a veteran, the, the the things I've done appeal to that group. But then I then I moved to, to Pittsburgh after the army, and I created jobs there. So I've got a good strong base in the West. Um, I'm somebody that's known in the West. I'm somebody that was a business person. I made payroll. I've created jobs in the West. And then I'm someone as a as a business leader nationally that has a lot of connectivity and appeal to the, to the East. And, and frankly, Dina is a big part of that too. She, you know, she and I are really partners in this. So I feel very good about our statewide appeal. Um, I, I've not spent a nanosecond thinking about the general election. Yeah, it's not your job yet. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I don't presume anything. I gotta, I gotta focus on the, on the primary and win. The thing I would say, which I, I feel great about is that I can't think of, a, of an election in my lifetime where there's been a greater contrast of ideas. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and so, you know, our party, whatever differences we have among Republicans, they're tiny in comparison to the the, the, the chasm we have in disagreement with the Democrats. And this is where I, I give President Trump a lot of credit. I think President Trump laid out a very clear set of policies around economic growth, economic competitiveness, pro-growth economic policies, deregulation, um, and, and, and an evolution of our trade policy, which I think is necessary 
um, to address some of the challenges we've had in strategic industries going abroad and so forth. The fact yeah. is an example that our semiconductor industry is, is completely offshore, 90 miles, you know, the large majority of it, 90 miles from China is unforgivable. That's a, that's a terrible failure that we need to address. So, so those policies around energy, I mean, we, we were net energy exporters. We were on a path to energy dominance under Trump. Uh, the same holds true for borders and so on. So I think that that agenda and what the results were, just let's talk about uh, minorities under uh, the Trump administration, as you probably know, African-American real wage growth was the best in decades. Yeah. Child poverty in the African-American community, the best in decades. Unemployment, the best in decades. So I think we have a set of policies that deliver genuinely great results and are anchored in great thinking, conservative America first thinking. And I think we have the contrast of both bad ideas and incompetent execution with uh, our current administration. Um, everything from economic policy to border. I mean, as I said, the border is mind blowing to me. Yeah. Um, energy policy is mind blowing. Here we are in one year. Stunning. We've heard, heard our national security. We've heard our economy and we've heard our environment because we've had substitution of our clean gas from that, from Pennsylvania with dirty oil and gas from, or less clean oil and gas from Russia. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's mind boggling. Absolutely insane. No, you're right. And I think very few times over the last 20 or 30 years that I can think of where all of these sort of esoteric policy views actually have real world, direct, immediate impact on your average voter, which is what's yeah, happening right. in almost everything. You mentioned right. immigration, energy, inflation. I mean, there's literally nothing this guy hasn't touched. It hasn't turned into a bag of flaming yeah, garbage. That, that is the, so I, so listen, I'm running on that today and I'm running on, I'm running on experience. Yeah. And I'm basically saying, listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a proven conservative. I'm someone who's had a remarkable set of experiences through just chance, but someone who's served in our military, someone who's a, a combat veteran, someone who served at the highest levels of government, someone who's run two successful companies, someone who's made payroll, someone who understands these issues. And the thing I'm saying to the people of Pennsylvania is, listen, just look at the television. We don't have time. And I'll say this in the general, too, if, if I'm fortunate enough to, to be nominated, um, we don't have time to get somebody doing on the job training. We need somebody who can step into this fight on China, step into Ukraine, step into energy policy, step into inflation and have a perspective that's grounded in pragmatic understanding and experience. And just the contrast, just as an example, and I, I suspect you'll agree, look at the consequences of having someone in the, in the vice presidency that's not ready for prime time, right? Not ready for prime time. And so- So um, bad. I mean, right. so bad, so bad. It's like we used to do a bunch of shticks on Kamala, but it's now become reality. Yes. It's like it's now it's just like you cry over it. Exactly. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm fired up about it. I'm fired up most because I think uh, I think I think the country's really in trouble yeah. and I feel like I can do something about that, um, you know, in, in, in uh, collaboration with lots of other great conservative leaders. And so I'm uh, I'm I'm fighting for the chance and uh, I'm uh, I'm excited about where we are. Well, good deal. I got three big questions for you that we ask everybody. And these are the ones everybody judges you over, Dave. So this is like not taking life. <laughs> this, is serious. this is serious stuff. This is serious. The future, uh, my, fu my political future may depend on how I answer these questions. It's 100%. There's no right <laughs> answer, but there's inauthentic answers. And those ones, right. the minions are all over. So all right. uh, here's the first one. If you could plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? 
Well, I, I think I've got a, a, a well-established track record of about uh, 12 to 14 a day. So I can't imagine saying farewell to this world without, without tipping a Diet Coke on my way out the door. <laughs> <laughs> you, and, you and Trump with the Diet Cokes, huh? Yeah. For sure. For sure. That's the, uh, that's the, no, you got to have more than a diet. Cut your last meal, Dave. You can't, you can't just roll in. I may, I may, I may, I may accompany it with, uh, with pizza. My, my, uh, my, uh, family can, can attest anywhere we go. I try, I've, I've tried every pizza place in town. So it's, uh, I've well, got a lot of good pizza. ones in Pennsylvania. That's there's a, good- a lot of good ones in Pittsburgh. There's a lot, there's a lot of good ones. So, um, but, uh, but those would be the two. Okay. All right. All right. So se- here's the second question. And I'm going to, frame it a little different for you because I think your career outline has been so well established. If you weren't doing this and if kind of public service piece of your life was just sort of not there, what do you think you would have dedicated your time? If you got all this time on your hand, blue sky, you can be anything in the world. What would it be? Well, I never had the talent for it, but I always it doesn't matter. Cruz said, Cruz said he wanted to be an NBA basketball player. (laughs) Well, okay, so I can really stretch yours. What yeah, you can stretch. <laughs> I'd say uh, I would. I would have loved to have been the great American novelist. You know, uh-huh. like someone who um, who could tell stories and tell one who who would who who could have the benefit of fiction to be able to tell the stories, but to, but to be able to tell uniquely American stories um, about you know the grit of America, the promise of America. You know, everybody from, you know, Ernest Hemingway to Jack London, these people, that's these a good people, answer. They, <laughs> left, they left such an indelible mark. So you think about, um, you think about the, if you think about your life in terms of being able to leave, leave a mark, yeah. um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to yeah. leave a mark. And, uh, and the great American novelist, they tell stories that are timeless and universal and, and particularly the ones that tell stories about America. Uh, those are the ones that appeal to me. Plus, I picture him sort of sitting overlooking the ocean, sort of thinking deep thoughts. Sure. That, that has some appeal. Just thinking deep thoughts, deep thoughts, Josh. Deep. <laughs> so All right, that's a good answer. We've not had the great American novelist before, so that's that's you're on your own with that. I like it. Um, third question. This is sort of like a brain teaser a little bit, but it goes to what motivates you. Our theory of the case is that you're either motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat, and that's not to say anybody enjoys defeat or hates winning of course not but people are generally motivated by either being a sunny optimist charging up the hill they just want to have a sense of accomplishment for themselves the second crew is the agony of defeat person is any setback they've ever had in their life they wear it like a backpack right they get like 10 times more thought put into each setback in their life than they ever had a victory right so it's like a michael jordan type figure where, where do you find yourself on this? Yeah, I'm totally, I'm thinking of that great, you know, that great quote from MacArthur from West Point, which is there's no substitute for victory. Yeah, <laughs> right. I am totally driven. I'm not, not just for myself, but for the team. Like I'm totally driven by the, the promise of success, success well-earned through, you know, hard work, through integrity, through excellence in pursuit of, in pursuit of, of, of something big. And so that's, uh, that's always what's driven me. I'm, I'm the eternal optimist. I always see the path and, uh, and I'm always hoping for uh, uh, the, the bigger, brighter goal. Well, you're certainly searching for it here. Listen, David McCormick, I can't thank you enough for your time. If our uh, listeners want to help you out, where do they find you? Dave McCormick, PA.com. 
DaveMcCormickPA.com. Josh, we're looking carefully for your input there and your contribution too. <laughs> you, listen, you are a good candidate. He's, he's shaking down. I don't, leave, I don't want to leave this, this without the opportunity to welcome you to be a supporter. <laughs> what, a, what a thoughtful gesture. All right. <laughs> good to talk to you. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Well, look, I, I mean, this is a very, very crowded field. Uh, as I mentioned, he is currently leading in the polls. I, I thought he was delightfully candid in the entire interview, you know, I mean, he's a first time candidate. He's been around politics for a long time, but he's a first time candidate. Seems to me to have this thing figured out pretty quickly. He's only been in the race six times. I thought it was a, I thought it was a good interview. You know, I knew he had a military background, but I didn't know it was as serious as what he, he's a ranger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's a ranger. I mean, this man, is, I was, I was expecting to do the, like have something nice to say about the guest afterwards, but everyone's got one. Like, I was just going to be like, well, I know the guy is smart. Everyone knows the guy is smart. Yeah, right. And I like first-time candidates. Well, he candidates. comes your, your finance world. So you yeah, know, you can, I mean, I like first-time yeah. candidates and the guys, uh, you know, it might be, he's legit. Yeah, he's not like a guys. He's not like a dummy. He's not like a fly-by-night guy. He's a smart guy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks, Dave McCormick, for doing it. And, uh, boys, I think we settled in here. I think we, I think yeah, we got a great that time. one in, in the books. Yeah, I, I rolled out, got a bottle of bourbon, I got to tell, like, 20 different stories so <laughs> i hope everyone out there enjoyed them and it was an absolute banger of an episode gentlemen thank you to all our listeners thank you for the five-star reviews and for the hack madness votes which are underway right now go out there make your bracket sheet so until next time minions keep the faith hold the line and own the libs we'll see you on thursday stay ruthless <laughs> <laughs>